welcome to another episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'm your host, Sean Hall, Director of Programming with the Veterans Breakfast Club. We're a nonprofit in Western PA whose mission is to create communities of listening around veterans and their stories to connect, educate, heal, and inspire. Recently, the Top Gun Maverick movie, if you know anything about The Scuttlebutt, we had a movie review on that. I suggest that you look that up. And if you haven't seen Top Gun, what are you doing? Go out and see it now. Come back and talk to me. Incredible movie, but it recently, I believe, took over the title of highest grossing film in, in history. This is a big movie. So we were recently connected with a graduate of the Top Gun program, James Bartoloni. He goes by Callsign Bart. He's going to join us for the discussion today to talk all things Top Gun school. Um, he was there in the 90s. He flew F-14 Tomcats. He flew during uh, the Gulf War. Um, lots of stories about uh, the specifics of Top Gun, how you get in, uh, the training that you go through, the extensive training that you go through, um, and some fun stories that he'll get into. Additionally, he goes into at the end, we talk a bit about psychedelic treatment for trauma. Um, that was something we had no idea we were going to get into, but he's a big believer in it. And he talks extensively uh, about uh, what he went through and how he was able to go through it. We'll have links in the chat in the description. If you want to check him out, check out his nonprofit. Uh, Bart was an incredible guest. Ryan all joined me for the discussion, as well as Catherine. You may know them from previous episodes of The Scuttlebutt, um, but I was happy to have this discussion with Bart about Top Gun. Not only just the movie, his thoughts on it, just a touch on that, um, but really mainly about the Top Gun school and um, what he experienced going through it. Uh, I think you'll enjoy this conversation. And uh, if you would please like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell on YouTube so you're the first to know when we release new episodes, that would be wonderful. You can also hit me up, Sean, S-H-A-U-N, at veteransbreakfastclub.org. Um, and just as a side note, if this is your first time watching The Scuttlebutt, I myself, I am not a veteran. I am a civilian. And the idea of The Scuttlebutt is to uh, bridge the military-civilian divide by attempting to understand military culture from a civilian perspective, which is pretty much my perspective. Um, but I hope you enjoy the episode. Please check us out at the VBC. You can check it out, veteransbreakfastclub.org, uh, for all of the uh, incredible programming that we have going on. Um, and I uh, hope to see you there. Enjoy the show. Yeah. Hello, everyone. My name is Ryan All. I'm a... a veteran of the army, uh, deployed a few times to Iraq as, a, as an infantry soldier and uh, done logistics as an officer and uh, coming up on uh, retirement. So very excited. And I'm a frequent contributor to this great podcast, The Scuttlebutt. So thank you again for having me. Awesome. And Catherine, thanks again for, for jumping in the saddle with us. Yes, happy to be back once again. Hello, everyone. Catherine Guyon here. I am a um, news anchor by trade. I am a civilian, but I have a deep passion for veteran stories and uh, a bit partial to the Navy because my grandfather was a Navy man. So, <laughs> and uh, and the highlight of of this episode, uh, Bart. Uh, so happy to have you uh, a part of the podcast today, having a, a graduate of the Top Gun School. We're going to get into all of that, but uh, love for you to introduce yourself. Absolutely. And first off, thank you for having me. Let's have a lot of fun today, right? It's going to be great. But uh, yeah, so um, James Bartoloni, everybody calls me Bart. Uh, that was my call sign. Uh, I did do a couple things that deserved other call signs, but um, quite frankly, I just would go to the whiteboard, erase it, put Bart up, and I wouldn't uh, act like I was defending the call sign. You know, I was just like, oh, okay, whatever. So Bart stuck, and I'm kind of glad because then I'd have some explaining to do to my kids, and I really don't want to do that. But anyway, right. Um, so uh, I did. I flew uh, F-14s uh, for the Navy, um, pretty much all throughout the '90s, a couple of years in the 2000s. So I flew uh, F-14s for 12 years straight. Uh, never got out of the cockpit. Never. I had a short tour, but I was instructing and flying then too. So 
Um, it was all flying all the time, um, which we can get into later. But uh, it was it was incredible. So I got to graduate from Top Gun around 96. And um, from there, uh, I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, I've started a bunch of businesses. Um, I've had a couple exits and I've had a couple others. So uh, I'm right there at about an average entrepreneurial spot. But uh, I've got a couple entrepreneurial adventures going on right now that are specifically geared towards vets that I'd love to talk to later. Um, and I think it'll be very powerful, quite frankly. But uh, yeah, so that's me. Happily married, 32 years. My wife hung, on the, hung in there with me the entire time. We're high school sweethearts. We have four beautiful children. Uh, and I actually have four grandchildren already. So um, we can get into that too. But yeah, life, <laughs> life is grand. I think uh, 55 is the new eight quite frankly, at least my <laughs> wife will agree with you. Yeah. So I've got more energy than a nuclear power plant. So I'm ready to go, you guys. It's uh, it's really great to talk to fellow Americans, you know, it's it's awesome. So uh, it's a uh, pleasure me. and an honor, totally, Thank you. Uh, to have you here. I got you. I mean, like, you know, we were just mentioning before we hit the record button, the Top Gun has, you know, recently become like, I think the highest grossing film, Maverick has become the highest grossing film ever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I can't wait for it to come out on DVD. I'm going to be a, probably a day one purchase for that. Um, love awesome. the movie. All of us did in our movie review. If you haven't heard it to our audience, go back and listen to our movie review of Top Gun Maverick. If you haven't okay. seen it, then what are you waiting for? Um, yeah. But uh, obviously there's a lot of things that happen in the Hollywoodized version of Top Gun. Uh, that we're going to kind of dive into here. But I think I want to uh, start with just a, maybe maybe it's a dumb question because I'm a civilian. No, no is, dumb question. Why is it called Top Gun? Because, you know, it, it, it's actually, uh, there's a really sort of technical, um, technical Navy fighter weapon school is really what it's yeah. called. So yeah, why did NFW they call it Top Gun? Best. Boy, first off, I don't know objectively the answer to that question. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of, I'll, I'll theorize with you, but uh, you know, the, the school actually started because of the predominance of losses we were having in Vietnam. Um, in fact, I think it was about a 50-50 fight. And that was, you know, um, that was not um, acceptable for, for the United States, right? So um, back in Miramar, I'm pointing because it's that way, I live in San Diego. <laughs> but back in Miramar uh, days, they came up with, okay, we're going to, we're going to, cobbled together and it literally started out in a hut out on the flight line at Miramar. Um, some of those best in class forward thinking aviators to come up with a schoolhouse that truly created uh, dominance in the air to air environment, especially because the predominance of the engagements in, in Vietnam were in fact air to air, air to air engagements, right? So um, we had to figure something out. We had to figure something out quick. And so once we established the school and we established the standardization for, for fighting and employing your platform in the air-to-air -air and air-to-ground combat arena, um, our, our numbers went dramatically through the roof, right? So uh, we have our Navy uh, Fighter Weapons School. Uh, the Air Force has their Air Force Fighter Weapons School in Nellis Air Force Base. And then little known, but just as uh, powerful and as professional is the Marine Corps Air Weapons Training uh, School, which is MOTS. So um, that is, is a very, um, very interesting school. And there's a little slight differences in all of them, right? So MOTS is all about integrating into the air to ground and the ground arena, right? Understanding the forward edge of the battle area, forward line of troops, all that stuff and how aviation is a component of the ground theater. So MOTS is really about integrating with those ground, uh, um, those ground units, right? Uh, the Air Force Weapons School, gosh, You've got cyber, you've got tankers, you've got fighters, you've got, right? So it's it's got its own world. And then you have what's called now NSOC, 
Naval Strike Air Warfare Center, where the Navy does all their air training as a battle group and as part of the carrier in Fallon, Nevada. So, um, you know, they each have their own aspect of professionalism. Um, but, you know, quite frankly, I think Top Gun started it all. The reason it's called Top Gun, I think it's really that, right? So as those students in the early days, uh, you know, in the 70s went through, whoever, you know, uh, got selected was the Top Gun, right? They were one of the best fighter pilots in the world when they graduated. So that's kind of a long winded answer to something I just completely made up. <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think that's why. So but you answered one of my other questions because I yeah. was like, most people think of, you know, we have fighter jets, that's the Air Force. So yeah. why is why is Top Gun in the Navy? And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it seems confusing as a civilian to think like, well, wait a second, Top yeah. Gun's about the Navy, not the Air Force. That's correct. Um, and then that's a, actually a great question that I never thought about. Right. Um, all, all the services, even the Army, right? Even the Army has a very powerful uh, aviation service. In fact, I think um, the Air Force was actually born from Army aviation, right? So each one of the four services, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard, right? They have their own aviation platforms. We all have our different aviation platforms. Uh, and the Navy uh, and the Air Force, you know, we actually have to integrate into those uh, those ground-based uh, units, but each, while we're all kind of flying in the same missions, we all go about it a little bit differently, right? Mm -hmm. uh, for us, as, as we became more uh, of a littoral force, we were projecting power from the sea, right? Back when I started, I mean, I was right at that really interesting crossover where the Cold War was still going on. Looks like it's gonna start again. And we were both taught my first, we call it the RAG, Reserve Air Group. Uh, the Air Force calls it FRS, which is the Fleet Replacement Squadron. So you need to have this continual engine of pilots and, and backseaters and anyone who's going to be in the plane, right? Crew chiefs going through the pipeline, right? And then they go to a ground tour and they got to get back, right? So the Fleet Replacement Squadrons are always just turning out men and women to fly these aircraft and operate these aircraft at any you know rate they choose. So when you step back and you look at it, it's, it's constant, right? And so we now, when I was in the RAG, we, we were the first FRS class to drop bombs. Hmm. In fact, we were some of the first Tomcat and we were brand new in the cockpit. Hate to say it, sorry, Catherine, it's just laying in there. We were slinging bombs all over the Fallon ranges. We didn't know what we were doing. Uh, you know, knock on wood, thank God we you know, didn't drop anything off range and cause a fire or anything. But honestly, we brought in A6 instructor pilots and instructor BNs to teach our class because no one in the Tomcat community knew how to drop bombs, right? So we're moving towards this littoral warfare perspective. But then at the same time, we also had these exercises of these electronic attack bears and badgers coming over the horizon, you know, to drop their nuclear bombs. And we had to go 800 miles out and defend the carrier battle group. That was what we thought we were getting into, right? And gosh, it, it's such an amazing, I've actually thought of writing a business book about it, honestly. And, you know, in business, you're always adapting, right? There's competitors and, and you always have to, what's the market telling me and, and how do I adapt to it, right? Well, in 91, people might not realize that the F-14, we were pretty much shut out of the first Gulf War. Um, we lacked a significant amount of capabilities that made us relevant over land specifically, right? We were an overwater platform, defend the battle group, go out a thousand miles and try to shoot all the, the big, huge bombers coming across the open water with our Phoenix missiles, right? Um, that changed. They literally go put us in caps during the war in the first 30, 45 days of the war. 
defending nothing, right? Mm -hmm. So we quickly realized that the whole TomTech community had this major resurgence. We, we got a, a bunch of great uh, platform tools and we became actually, when we retired, we were one of the battle group commanders, most relevant platforms. And so that change was, was fascinating to watch, right? So on one hand, you know, the Navy, I'm going and learning all about bears and badgers and all these bombers. And then on the other hand, I'm doing the first bombing ever in the Tomcat, right? And then this is the last thing in my blowing away. When did IOC, initial operation capability, it was actually designed to be like an F-15E or an F-A-18. It actually had plumbing to drop bombs all along. And the Tomcat community and their wisdom, not, were like, we don't drop bombs, we're a fighter platform. And so the little um, control area in the back seat of the Tomcat where you controlled all the bombs and the, the fusing and all that, no one ever taught it <laughs> until my class. So, so, so it looked pretty real though in Maverick then when he sits back there and he's like, what, yeah, what is yeah. all this crap? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We were taught actually one thing at the beginning, at the end of the class, we taught the whole panel. It's called the AUG 15. I can't believe I remember that. We were taught stations two and seven, how to get rid of them because that's where our tanks were. But that's it. That's all we knew. So if we need to get rid of the tanks, we could just you know jettison the tanks through these two switches. There's probably about 30 switches on it. I only knew two of them at the beginning of the class. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. Did that answer your question? I could talk all day. There's so yeah. much going on. <laughs> totally. No, and it's opening yeah. up new new rabbit holes. Brian. <laughs> okay, good. Let's go. Let's dive. I really um kind of a two-part question. Like what yeah. what made you want to be uh you know a naval aviator or a yeah. pilot? And if yeah. you for some reason you didn't do that, um, what other what what would do you think you still would have joined the military and what would what else would have interested you? Great question. You know, honestly, I don't think I knew what I was doing. Um, I don't think any of us do, really, right? Um, but um, somehow I got recruited to play uh, soccer and basketball at the Naval Academy. And um, I, I, it was interesting, right? It was really interesting to me. I really didn't know what I was doing. Top Gun was coming out, right? And I was like, well, that's kind of cool. And um, I ended up going to the Naval Academy prep school for a year. Need a little help with academics, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, so I, I prepped a year, red-shirted, if you will. Um, and then, I, I honestly, I didn't know what I was getting into. So we showed up at NAPS, and uh, they took us down to the boiler room and you know, kind of read us in, if you will. I'm like, why are these people yelling at me? Um, this, is, this is crazy, right? So I really didn't know what I was getting into. I think that's the military uh, in a nutshell. Why are these people yelling at me? <laughs> that's right. I'm like, why are you so angry? Come on, man, chill out. Um, so uh, I joined, right? I, I went to the Naval Academy uh, and then I quickly realized I was a division three athlete in the division one world, right? And um, I, uh, I ended up going to the rugby team and we called ourselves the Land of Misfit Toys, right? Oh, I, I got recruited for wrestling. I was supposed to be a football player, right? So we were pretty much all division one reject uh, athletes. So um, you get exposed to different things while you're at Navy and um, aviation was extremely interesting, extremely cool. The movie was out, everything like that. But actually I was thinking about being a Marine Corps infantry officer. And so the way they did it back in the day, I was all the way, way, way back at Bancroft Hall and about, I, I don't know, 50 people prior to your name, they call you through your service section, you walk down walk to where you know you choose what you're going to do 
And I actually had my Marine Corps, Marine Corps, Marine Corps uh, cami cover in my SDBs, my midshipman SDBs, thinking I'm going Marine Corps. So Colonel Ripley, who won the Navy Cross in Vietnam for scaling a bridge and putting up these explosives while he's getting shot at and the bridge blows up and he keeps the, the North Vietnamese from moving. I mean, just a, uh, an icon within the Naval Academy circles and everything. He's speaking about how great the Marine Corps is. Like, That's it, Marine Corps. And then I go down and it's literally, it's like, it's like a circular uh, you know, stairwell. And I go down to the next level and it's Admiral Dunlevy, who at the time was in charge of naval aviation. He's like, naval aviation is decorated. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm going naval aviation. So then I go, I keep going down through these levels and I keep going back and forth. I really didn't know. And so I hear this midshipman Bartoloni. I'm like, uh, naval aviation. And I think it's because um, I heard Admiral Dunlevy's voice last. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I that called is- my wife. I called my wife at the time, fiance, and she's like, what'd you do? Marine Corps? I'm like, oh, actually, no, naval aviation. She said, what? So unfortunately, Ryan, that's the story. I really don't know how I got into it, right? I mean, um, but once you get into the fleet, and um, man, I'm glad it did. It was, it's an incredible run. And, you know, if you look at the military and you look at all of us who do have different MOSs and we do different things, ultimately, I'd say 90% of us, we might not know what we're getting to or think we got the wrong platform or the wrong rate, but we all end up enjoying it anyway, you know, because yeah. it's about the people, right? Yeah. Um, so whether you're P3, E2, F14, ground pounder, it's about the people, the people you meet, the mission out, you know? So um, once I got in and I started getting into employing the platform, um, I just was like, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I'm all in. I want to be the best I can be. Mm-hmm. And so I was just, I just wanted to, I wanted to reach the Mount, Mount Vesuvius, you know, uh, Mount Olympus. Get, and so um, I was driven to try to be the best, one of the best, right? And so um, that, that's kind of what drove me. Um, but I wish I could say I, I dreamed of aviation all my life and I made paper airplanes. I don't know how I got into it, honestly. <laughs> Well, so I need I mean, to ask a question on behalf of the, I guess, the civilians in the group. And yeah. I know you say there's no silly questions, but this one no. might be. So, like, obviously, you know, you're in aviation. They're not just going to let you go sit behind an aircraft and say, go fly. So, like, I've always wanted to know, like, what is the training like? Like, how do you get to that point where, okay, it's you, you're in the cockpit and you have to fly this thing? Like, tell, yeah. I want to know all about the training. I'm so fascinated by this. Yeah, you know, and that's a great question, Catherine. And, and it starts from, honestly, from like E1 to O10 and everything in between, right? Because I'd say there's a small percentage of people who know how to shoot a gun when they join the military or have flown civilian, right? Or are great sailors, and, and you know what I mean? So they have some understanding of the skill sets that are required in the military, but a vast majority of us, we've never touched anything, right? So. I had no aviation experience. I, I knew nothing about it, right? And so you go down to Pensacola and it's about eight weeks and it's pretty intense. Just like any military, it's called military occupational specialty, MOS. Any MOS, right? Any school you're in, whether it's you're going to be you know, a combat operator or you're gonna be a cyber warrior, right? It, it's intense, right? Because stuff's on the line, right? So um, that initial training, you're already figuring out the pecking order, who's going to get jets, who's going to get helicopters, who's going to get propeller planes, fixed fixed wings, stuff like that, right? So, but that's all the theory of aviation. 
you know, I understand leftover drag. Oh, that's how it works. That's why you have to go faster to get leftover wings. I had no idea. You know what I mean? Um, so that was pretty intense. And then once you finish that ground training, then you go into basic training, right? And that's when they just introduce the little propeller plane. Um, a little, it's still a plane, right? You can go kind of fast, but not that fast. And you learn the basics of aviation, right? How to navigate, how to get into the, the network, if you will, how to get into the FAA airspace, right? Understand as a military plane, the, for the lack of word, the etiquette, right? With your other private planes, commercial airliners, right? So it's this whole world out there flying around. So you have to understand how to operate in that, the basics of, of flying, right? How to land, IFR flying, which is instrument flight rules where you have weather, VFR flying, visual flight rules where you don't have weather, you do some low levels, right? You're just you're just really figuring out aviation. Um, and once and you that do training, that, sorry to interrupt, that training is yeah, a span yeah. of how long? Well, it depends, right? Okay. Um, NFOs or naval flight officers have a different amount. Pilots have a different amount. It, it, but that initial one, six months, let's say. You know, it might have changed a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. um, I know they've collapsed a lot of the schools. There's a lot of joint training going on now, but then there should be, right? Why? Why do initial Marine Corps, Air Force, and um, Navy uh, pilots? Why? Why does she have to go to three different areas, right? Everyone's got to learn the same stuff, put them here, to consolidate. So there's been a lot of consolidation with that. But that initial phase is about six months or so. And then at that point, depending upon your grades, is when the big split comes, right? You go in jets, you go in helicopters, or are you going like a P3, C-130s, E2s, right? More of the larger fixed, fixed wing platforms, okay? And that split comes. Me, I was a fast mover, I'm jets, right? So there's an NFO track, Naval Flight Officer, about Cedar Track, and there's a pilot track, right? Um, and that's a little bit of a jump. So you got this little single prop plane, and then you jump into a jet, right? And it's a little bit faster. <laughs> Things are happening quicker, right? Just, a, just yourself, a little bit. <laughs> you can kill yourself quicker, right? Um, and then with that, again, you get into the basics, right? How to get in and out of the airspace, get up to 30, 35,000 feet. You're up there with the airliners, right, and all that. But then they just start to sprinkle some basic fighter maneuvers, BFM, uh, low-level techniques, right? So you're down at about 500 feet, going about 400 miles an hour. How do you how do you do a low-level, right? How do you how do you get ahead of the aircraft? How do you use the land navigation? What's the effect of wind having on you? All that different stuff, right? So you just you just sprinkle in a little bit of mission-oriented aviation. I'm going to ask you for a, a, like you, what the first time you went from propeller to jet. Yeah. First time you sat in there, what mm -hmm. did that feel like? Complete like, overwhelm. Like I mean, I'm literally a bike and then I'm riding a, a, a yeah. rocket. <laughs> yes. It, and I thought it was a rocket. All it was was like an e-bike. I hadn't even hit a rocket yet. Right. Um, have you ever seen that? I don't know. I might be dating myself, but remember that Bugs Bunny cartoon? When he ends up on top of the moon and he's hanging on, he's like, get me out of here. Yeah, oh, see, that, that was my first couple of flights in a jet. I, I mean, I was just, oh my God. What, what, what was the- It was uh, happening and I'm like, oh, I'm so far behind. The vertical tail, just picture me holding on to it. I'm like, oh my God, yeah. I gotta catch it. You know, try to climb, climb back to the cockpit. What my was first the jet that they were first training you on? What's that? What was the jet that they were first I was in a T2. It's, okay. it's out of service now. Uh, okay. T2 Buckeye, the guppy. Um, 
And then like to your question, Sean, my first three or four BFM hops, I threw up <laughs> 20 minutes straight. I mean, it was horrible. So we go out about 30 miles off the coast there in Pensacola. And that's it. There she is. Those of us watching like on YouTube. Up right now. <laughs> yeah. There's the T2 Buckeye. That she is, the guppy. Um, okay. There it's it so is. funny. Yeah. I feel like I could pre-flight that thing still. But um, uh, I threw up. So you go off into the warning area, um, which is a military airspace. I mean, just do basic. I mean, it's like, here's a loop, you know. And I threw up from the warning area. So we landed. I mean, I think I have four or five puke bags. And I'm like, am I, am I even going to be able to do this? And they said, they're like, hey, it'll just end. Guess what? It just ended. I, you know, um, so that you, you got these little, um, uh, call them sensors, if you will, in your inner ear. And there's all these follicles, or follicles, right? And so when you're normal and you're just doing little movements, your head can keep up with it. But when you start banking around and everything, all the liquid goes everywhere and, and your brain goes, I don't know what's up or what's back throw up <laughs> so that's what happened and then i think you just get used to it really um there were a, a minority of people who it was so bad they 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 had to wash out of jets because they just couldn't do it physiologically right um so then you get the carrier qualls and um t2 right those uh it's day only right and then it, you're i mean you're you're trained up a lot before you go to the carrier, right? A lot. And um, so once that carrier call happens, that's when you get selection, right? And so you get, but, but at my time, it's kind of interesting, again, part of this whole collapsing of technology and um, all the things technology can do. When I stepped foot on the carrier, I had EA6s, A6s, ES3s, S3s, E2s, A7s, FA18s, and F14s. Now, today, there's F-18s and E-2s, <laughs> right? right? Pretty good technology, right? So um, that's where this big split comes. And so I, I was able to select Comcats. And that's when you go into what's called the fleet replacement squadron. And so you know how to land on a carrier. You know how to operate an e-bike. <laughs> and um, it's time now to become a mission-oriented aviator. So the FRS is about nine months to a year long, depending on weather, jet availability, right? There's a whole host of things. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where we get into air to air. There's a, a four, about a four week uh, syllabus of it's just air to air engagements. And you start out on one, one versus one and you fight and you go two versus two and then you fight and then you go four versus four, right? Um, so here's how you employ in an air to air engagement. And then you go to air to ground. And you start off dropping dump bombs, you do low levels, you do hops, you do all kinds of different ingress tactics that, you know, can help you get to the target area and get back out. Mm -hmm. um, and you're dropping, you start out with inert little blue bombs, we call, you know, we call them uh, Mark, uh, Mark 76s. They're literally about that big. That's it. They got some smoke in it. So when it hits, you can spot it. And then you get to the real bombs, right? Uh, so, and, and drop, tell me if I'm going too quick, because there's a lot going on. Yeah. That's why I'm saying Top Gun, you can see it's a lot more than just jump in, let's go. Yeah. Um, but in, in employing bombs, you have to do what's called weaponeering, right? And so you have to figure out what's the best fuse, nose and tail. What's the best dive angle? You need to calculate uh, 
the potential for collateral damage. So what's my best ingress route from azimuth, altitude, diving, right? You get into all, all of that, right? And then they introduce laser guided bombs. Mm-hmm. So you have to do that, right? You have to understand how the FLIR works, FLIR theory, how to employ it, right? Then we got night vision goggles. So you get people out on the goggles, right? And then we've got the jousting air-to-air refueling, right? Mm-hmm. So in the FRS, we'll take them up there. and Literally, it, here's, here it is. Whoa, you're like, oh, I mean, it, it can get pretty <laughs> ugly teaching someone to, to re, air-to-air refuel. Um, the nose, you know, the noses of the jets get all banged up. The basket's hitting everywhere. Gas is flying everywhere. It's kind of crazy. But it's Ryan. like riding a bike. It's like riding a bike, you know, once, once you're in. Okay, I get it. Um, and then we go night refueling. One That's, quick question, though, yeah, yeah. This, this is from back a bit before, is landing on a carrier. And I've yep. heard multiple times how, like, insane that is, because not only are you, you know, you're landing on the small strip of, you know, concrete, but, you know, you're, you're also landing on a moving target. Yes. Um, are there, tra- <laughs> is there training in the desert of like, hey, we, we sectioned off a, a footprint yes. of the cr- carrier and here's a rope and you're going to land on this footprint a thousand times before you go land on the actual ship. You've, you've nailed it, Sean. So okay. that's called FCLPs, uh, Field Carrier Landing Practice. Okay. So off the coast of uh, Miramar here, I keep pointing Miramar that way, San Clemente Island, uh, where the SEALs go and do their second phase training after BUDS and everything, there's actually an outlying airfield out there at the northern tip of the island um, that almost exactly mimics what landing at the carrier at night is. It's pitch black dark. It's lit up like a carrier, and we go out there. We call it bouncing, and you bounce over and over and over again. Bouncing is like touch and goes. Touch and goes, yeah. Okay. And in every in every bounce is great, just like it would be on the carrier, right? So the landing signals officer, the LSO, can start understanding what your trends are. They can actually understand what a pilot scan is by watching them as they come in and, and go down the last three quarters of a mile of land. So when I said you're really, really really trained when you uh, go out there as a student naval aviator sean you just nailed it they bounce until they can't see straight right i lived i lived in oceana for a time right and and it yeah. was all you hear all day is touch and goes at ocean that's Fentress. all day that was Fentress. Mm-hmm. yeah in fact you know when we moved the entire tomcat community to oceana we blew out Fentress schedule so we literally went in the CAG and we pulled straws for the bounce period. And I think we got like the three to four thirty in the morning bounce period before cruise. It was like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. So <laughs> another side story. This is how crazy we are. So we're like, what are we going to do, right? Because we have a twelve-hour crew day, crew rest, all that stuff, and that stuff's real, right? Mm-hmm. So what we did was we all came up with an idea to see who could grow the best grass for cruise, and we'd go to the Virginia Beach Library. For this free horticulture class from five to six thirty at the Virginia Beach Library, and then we'd show up the squadron and work from you know seven till seven, because um, you know we were bouncing at three o'clock in the morning, right? And I felt bad because we were flying right over these houses. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. The Oceana base, yeah, you could drive around it in Virginia Beach all, all the time, but there's houses around that perimeter. There's more landings and takeoffs at Naval Air Station Oceana than there is like Dallas Airport LaGuardia. It's mm-hmm. one of the busiest master jet bases in the country, quite right. frankly. Wow. Yeah. Well, my dad was a air was an air traffic controller at Norfolk oh, International. Nice. Um, so he was like, I was always contending with like Oceana base. And <laughs> no, those, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I will. <laughs> um, so we know Top Gun was highly selective. 
when you yeah. found out that you got selected for it, what was that like? Uh, oh, I was elated because the first time I applied, I was rejected. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, right. And um, I'll, I'll finish my thread. So you get all those basics, right? And, and then you go to the fleet and you still don't know anything because now you've got live jets, you've got tanks and you're going out and flying real world missions. And there's so much going on with that, right? So it's just this continual progression of training and learning. And, and as you go, the pyramid just gets smaller and smaller and smaller, right? And that right there is top. Um, so let's become experts on employing all this other stuff, right? And so that, that's how you train. And that's why the movie's great. But to get to that point, it's years and years and years of training. So um, hopefully that answers your question, Catherine. I probably went too long. So Sean, what, what was yours? I wanted to finish that thread. Mainly just your personal feeling of like you got accepted into Top Gun. And yeah, like, you like, know, I was so excited because um, I, I knew a lot of the instructors, right? Um, to me, Top Gun represented uh, a commitment to excellence. And so everything, I mean, just from the way, and, and it's funny, as Top Gun was going on, the movie, I just kind of, you know, and I just went through, I could still remember all 33 of the flights that I went through at Top Gun, different pieces of it, right? Um, it was that, that impactful in my life. So it, the, the professionalism of the staff, the professionalism of the support staff, everything reeked of excellence. There was no competition, the Top Gun, trophy that doesn't exist right um really so, yeah no 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 there's no time trophy. in fact we did a uh, a big cookout you know the students were in charge of a big cookout afterwards and it was a joke Here's the, who gets, you know and it was like who gets to win the top gun trophy and we gave it to someone who done something too stupid right so and there's no top gun trophy. there maybe there is now i don't know right? but um so no like interpersonal competitions though no Really? Okay. No, we were all there to help each other, quite frankly. Okay. Uh, and and they're your buds, right? They're 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 people that you're in the fleet with, right? And so um, and you're flying with them, right? And you don't want to see anyone bad or anything. You don't want to kill anybody, right? So um, it was nothing like that. It, the intensity of the school was 15 to 16 hour days, every single day. We'd go fly an hour mission. We'd plan eight hours for. And then we debrief that mission with the instructors for upwards of five, six, seven hours. Wow. A one hour mission. And, and the, so these instructors were just phenomenal. And so you're, you're basic, and I don't want to say basic, but your basic naval aviator who's operating off an aircraft carrier, you know, it's, there's not that much difference, right? Mm -hmm. um, and what you became was an excellent teacher, right? Um, and, and you're able to monitor and see where the mistakes were being made before they'd be made, like, hey, you're going to make these mistakes in this flight, don't worry about it, right? So it, it wasn't that I was necessarily any better than anybody else. I just understood a theory a lot better, and I was trained to teach, because the goal is to take this group of people and then inculcate that expertise into your squadron, right? And, and so that was really what it was about. It was a teaching school, um, and I don't know if that comes up, maybe, but that's okay. The scenes were good, so but I was okay. I was really stoked. I was really stoked. But yeah, I got rejected the first time. I was pissed. <laughs> how long? How long was the school? 
14 weeks. So that's a pretty, it, yeah. That's yeah. Pretty long time. Yeah. And um, don't quote me on it, but I think the Air Force Weapons School was almost like four or five months. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Mott's was about the same as Top Gun. And then I had two, two of my buds, uh, Basher Bello and Ogre McGowan. They went to Top Gun and Mott's. I mean, so those guys, I mean, their knowledge of working in, in you know, in the battlefield was amazing. They had everything. They had all the air-to-air, air-to-ground, having a great the Marine Corps. You can't, you know, and I honestly, um, Sean and Ryan might, uh, oops, sorry, Sean and Ryan, they might be able to, um, you know, agree with me here, but you can't, you can't describe until you're in it. And again, I don't care if you're the E1 infantry rifleman or the 04 or 03, or I'm sorry, the three-star, four-star admiral in charge of the entire battle and everything like that, the orchestra, the dance that's occurring, it, it, it's, it's unbelievable, the coordination and the fluidity that we are able to conduct warfare. Um, am I concerned about some of um, the aggressors that are showing up? Of course. But the logistics of the United States military and how we conduct warfare is unmatched in history. It's unbelievable, right? I always had gas, right? Um, Ryan probably always had bullets, right? You look at what happened to Russia. All their tanks got stuck, right? We, we've been operating at a very high intense level for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And people don't realize it's the supply chain that, that keeps us as powerful as we are. That's unmatched. Some of our weapon systems might be equal on par with the Russians and, and, and the Chinese, um, but the logistics, that, that's gonna ultimately win our wars or our battles that we get into. It's the logistics. It's, it's such a fine team orchestrated um, dance. And it's really, uh, and, and my favorite part of Top Gun was the first time they showed the flight deck. They showed the yellow shirts, the purple shirts, and the white shirts, and everyone's all over there. So when you talk about training, I come up, I salute the plane captain. Hey, sir, your jet's good to go. That's an 18 year old kid who has a high school degree, who's never been to college and the Navy's trained him to take care of the $65 million jet. And I'm walking in and say, okay, thanks. I got it. I trust you, right? Um, those, those mechs who drop engines, replace engines, drop them, test them, tune them in 10 hours. They'd never been a mechanic in their world, you know? So the, the training and then the way we all bring it together, it's, it's incredible. It really is. I have yeah, a question later about possible like near peer and the idea of, you know, fifth generation fighters. Um, <laughs> I want to ask real quick about maneuvers. So yes. a lot is made in like the movie about, you know, hit the air brake and you fly over and they'll go right by and, you know, a J turn and, you know, a falling leaf maneuver and all of these things that are just like, would you actually do that in game? Or is that just like for the practice like squad? Um, is that something yeah. that, yeah, like, is that something like, yeah, you don't do those when you're actually dogfighting? Like, no, you really I mean, maybe. The JSF or the F-22 can put out a speed brake and stop immediately after. I mean, think about a ship. It takes a ship like 10 miles to ultimately stop, right? Mm -hmm. So you're not going 500 miles an hour and just stop and go like that, right? You, the jet will fall apart. Now you can slow down for sure, but is the person going to go out of you? No, and that person's trying to gun you from a half a mile away, 
you know, it's not like they're right here. Oh, right. So, mm-hmm. eh, not so much. Um, the falling leaf, you're out of control flight. I don't want to be there, right? So, not so much, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you do get in extremist situations, which you train to, and, and you can get out of, right? But if, but if you hit a merge, first off, there's a 500-foot bubble in training, right? So there's already 500 feet. You, you, you smack it on. Let's say you do what's called a two circles. See, I'm arcing two circles, right? Mm-hmm. One circle is like that, right? We just do one circle, two circles. You could be upwards of two miles apart from each other, right? Mm-hmm. So there's really it's a three-dimensional puzzle right that you're constantly engaging your turn rate and your turn radius and you're looking at that other jet across the circle from you right and trying to figure out how how fast is he tracking across the horizon right but the tomcat it was a big other and that was the variable swept wings Mm -hmm. so everybody knows if our wings are back we're too fast if our wings are out we're too slow so when you're across the circle, you can quickly surmise a Tomcat's energy state. And then hmm. because you bring your wings back and if you're slow, then you've lost all your lift, right? So you can't really fake people out. Like, oh, I'm actually really slow with my wings back to fall out of the sky, right? So there was a lot of studying what the turn rate and the turn radius of the enemy was and then how you would, how you would fight them, right? You want to take some people up high. The Eagles, the F-15Cs, they slaughtered everybody, right? They were high. They, they take the flight high. We like to take the flight to the ground because there's more air and our wings come out. They're as wide as a tennis court, right? That's how big. So picture Catherine standing on a, uh, on a net, you know, in the middle of a tennis court and looking to your right and to your left. That's how wide the wings were, right? So we get down low. And man, with all that air, that thing could put on a bat turn. The problem is you're going down to the air to ground threat. Now you're getting shot at by handheld SAMs and AAA, right? So, so all, all kinds of stuff going on. It's not like, hey, I'll put the speed brakes on, fly right by me. Very good if it could happen. <laughs> it's true. And yeah. it I think pretty. I just appreciate, you know, hearing you talk about all these scenarios and like, all of the training you got. I think that's one of the things when we talk about like the movie versus what I'm gathering from real life was that like in this movie, we see them maybe for like two minutes in some kind of briefing talking about it, but you're saying you spent days, hours, like all this time. I think that's where like we as civilians, we just see these movies. And then I almost wish people like researched a little beyond because there's so much like prep work that has to go in that yeah. and you're talking about all of these years of training you had and I'm just sitting over here like my gosh this sounds stressful <laughs> well that's something I'd love to for you to talk about some of my uh, my other projects uh, that I'm working on mm-hmm. um it, it it was I look back on it now right so I, I did fall asleep I'm like you know when they get into like the I don't know, this is ridiculous but the flying scenes were real right they're real they were they were doing it which is awesome right um, the mission, I don't think that would ever happen, right? But oh well, it's Hollywood, you know? Right. Um, so that was where I was like, ah, but the flying scenes, I thought they were great, you know? Now, when they jumped in the F-14 at the end, was that a little like, okay, I'm awake. Like, <laughs> I'm awake, but I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> Holy smokes, you can keep that jet flying? That's amazing, Iran. Well done. That's it, you know? <laughs> Um, but again, it's just part of, it was good to see the old turkey get flying. It's called the turkey, by the way, the turkey feathers in the back of the engine. 
Mm. You know, that's that's mm. why they look like turkey toes. So we call the tomcat the turkey. But um, yeah, it it, um, it was Hollywood. Um, I thought the acting was fine. I mean, the eye bar is the eye bar. That is real. I've been there multiple times, right? They they tried, but the camaraderie and everything, uh, you know, they might have missed a little. But again, it, movie's great. Hopefully, people will get interested, right? right. Um, now, in, great... in the idea of the movie and talking about fifth, they talk about fifth generation fighters. You know, they yeah. say it multiple times in the movie, and then of course, yeah. you have an F fourteen that goes against a fifth generation fighter. Uh, two part question. <laughs> One is the realism of an F fourteen taking on an F thirty five or a Sioux. Uh, you know, potentially like what they did in the movie and its success rate. But in that same idea, let's think like future near peer conflict. How likely would you think is it that there would be a mass air air combat you know a conflict that could happen in the level of like world war ii or vietnam where you would have you know 100 f-35s out there you know zipping around in the air fighting uh you know sues extremely likely hmm. yeah extremely likely so uh, the conflict not only happening by sea but by air like it would it would be a multi-level yeah 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 but uh, in that vein of like an f-14 taking on a sue probably couldn't it's not necessarily about the pilot, like the technology. I yeah, I don't, you know, I'm, if I, if two F-35, JSF, F-14, these guys should really beat us like baby seals, right? They really should. Um, if F-14 is able to get a couple kills, I think something went really, really wrong in those other guys. I'll just, <laughs> you know, I mean, honestly, right? The amount of technology in these jets these days is incomprehensible, quite frankly. Uh, I'll just leave it at that, right? Uh, the problem is, ultimately, you got what six air-to-air -air missiles, and while the Chinese, let's just say, have have a a, a very powerful air force, um, they they do have fifth-generation fighters, but they also have MiG-21s, thousands of MiG-21s, right? So you throw four F-35s up there, and they're going against a hundred MiG-21s guess what? There's probably going to be 78 leakers, right? So that's, that's a big deal. So the coordination, leakers, I'm sorry, right? So picture, picture 100 coming at you, and we've got two divisions. So that's eight jets with six missiles each. That's 48. On mm -hmm. You know, we shot, we were trained to shoot two, right? Mm -hmm. You got a bad, you got a, you got a nick on the radio. You got a nick on one of the, um, um, gosh, I can't even think of it. One of the tails of, of like an AIM-9X or an AIM-7 or an AIM-120. Those things are coming off three times, two times the speed of uh, sound over the platform, right? So Mach 2, Mach 3. So if you got a little nick in that, it's gone, right? Mm. So we're taught to shoot two. So you got 100 versus eight. There's going to be leakers, right? We can't shoot them all down. Right. So the coordination of, let's say, an Aegis cruiser, a, um, a Patriot missile battery, the air-to-air, -air, that coordination is going to be really, really intense. Um, so it's, it's, it's not going to be pretty. That was something that in the movie se seemed like, okay, this is a Hollywoodization of this, but like, how does that play out in, re in, in real time, real life? In the real world, all those SAMs that were up on the cliff would have just been smacked way too much by let's just say tomahawks I, and you would have never done that mission 
period. But it's it's Hollywood, right? So it's okay. Uh, before we move on to your your current endeavors, uh, yeah, Barb, uh, Ryan, yeah. Ryan, Catherine, I want to make sure we have any any other questions about Top Gun. I Did just I want to know: Do you miss Do you miss flying? Like, if somebody said tomorrow, do you want to go up? Would you go? Absolutely, right. Uh, in fact, some of us old birds were like, "Throw me in," it, you know. It, it, why not? <laughs> right. Um, I might throw up a couple times and it won't take me too long to get up to speed, but if I'm needed, I'll jump. But you know, what I really miss is the people, right? The men and women in the squadron uh, from the junior enlisted to the skipper and everything in between. There's just, there's just a coagulation of a shared commitment towards a mission, towards this constitutional republic that we love. And, you know, and that's the other thing too. Nobody cares if you're a female, if you're an American of African descent. If you're an American who's transgender, no one cares. Get the job done, right? And so that that camaraderie and that closeness and that commitment to the mission is what I miss. And my mission was to go employ a you know a platform, a fighter platform, uh, in air to air and air to ground combat. I, so I miss being able to employ that aspect of the mission. But mostly it's the people. The people were your typical military uh, vet or in active duty, you know, because I have a nonprofit, right? And we take people stand up paddleboard surfing. You guys are invited. Um, and it's really about the camaraderie, right? But people from all walks of life, all ages, sexes, races, show up at our retreat. And when they're vets, they're instant coagulation, right? Because you just, you're like, come on, let's go. You're part of us, right? Whatever you brought to this environment doesn't matter. Hey man, you serve, right? And it doesn't matter what you did, right? We all have a part to play. And so um, I miss the people. And that's why I started this nonprofit. <laughs> Ryan? Yeah. Um, really, I just, you know, what I think you really um, kind of answered my question there. But, like, you know, what was uh, your, I guess, what, you know, what was your favorite assignment? What was your favorite jet to fly? Or what, what's something that, like, you, that was like, that's what I really loved doing in the Navy. Like that was my favorite thing that I yeah. was doing. You know, I can remember it like yesterday. Um, me and actually my XO uh, were one of the first to go over the beach when, when we got to Iraq. And um, I remember literally going feet dry. All the combat checklists were complete. And I just looked around the cockpit and we had laser guided bombs, raw gear, we had positive ID capabilities, we had air-to-air -air missiles. Um, I was listening to like four radios, right? And I was just like, wow. First off, everything works. <laughs> you guys laugh, right? You yeah. understand? But just, it's just like, wow. And to think about all the civilian engineers, right? Who came up and, and, and built this, to think of Grumman, to, right? And just to be like, holy smokes, all of this um, pride, all of this education, all this knowledge, everything came together to synthesize, excuse me, synthesize this entire platform. And I am humbled and privileged enough to be able to sit in it. I just, I was just like, wow. And I actually, I actually said to my ex, I go, this is pretty amazing. He's like, this is awe inspiring, you know? So have, taking the time. To, to think and now we're coming back from a mission and you're going to land on an aircraft here with 5,000 of your fellow Americans. It's just being able to just be a part of that 
and being a part of the richness and the uniqueness of naval aviation, that 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 was so awesome. I can't pinpoint one, you know. Um, but when when you really all your training came together, all the all the you know technology worked, and you're going and let's go. And that orchestra, that dance was perfect. There's there's nothing better, right? And I bet you guys have the same experience, right? When everything you did, all the training. The unit worked as they were supposed to work. And it was just seamless. There's nothing like it. Same way I feel at the beginning of every Scuttlebutt podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you verbalized that in a way that I have not heard anybody talk about the military before. Oh, wow. um, and I and hopefully I good. That. Yeah, no, it's it's it was it's a very interesting way to to view it. Um, the, so many working parts, how everything had to coalesce into that particular moment. Um, yeah, that's a really yeah. cool way to look at it. Um, I'm very thankful that I could recognize it, Sean. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It takes a, an ability to step outside yourself for a second, especially as you're like about to take off and you know, <laughs> you're mission ready, like to be able to, to, to step outside that and be like, wow, all of this. I mean, I don't know if you, maybe your XO didn't realize what you meant by this is awesome because it just encapsulates all of that. Um, maybe, but, yeah. yeah. But I mean, like in, to have that idea there is, 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 a real, is really interesting. And, and some of the other ones, Sean, Sean and Ryan, and I'll stop because, guys, I can go past the hour if you guys want to. Uh, but this, <laughs> this next subject will blow your mind, I promise. But, you know, one of my favorite hops was this uh, individual. I'll leave his name out. Of, he was having a really tough time getting aboard the ship. So I was crude with him. And um, I know he really loved to smoke cigarettes. So before we went through the Suez Canal to do the ditch to go in and around Iraq, we, uh, the, Israel would let us borrow some of their southern bombing ranges just to kind of drop things to, you know, work the systems, if you will. And so uh, we're coming back. It's, it's like two o'clock in the morning and uh, we're over the Mediterranean. And I'm like, hey, man, how are you doing? No, 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 no. I go, look, turn off the oxygen. They're smart, liquid oxygen. <coughs> Handed him up a pack of cigarettes. And he was so happy. And I said, turn all the lights off. They got about 10 minutes before we push. And man, he drug on those cigarettes. So bad. The whole cabin? It was blown up. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I was worried because you'd see him lighten. And, and we all had goggles on and stuff. So they're probably like, what's going on down there? Because they stack everyone up, right? From 5,000 feet up to 20,000 feet. 1,000 foot increment, right? And then you, call, then you come down. And man, he was rails. Wham, landed. And I was like, yes. And so then about a month later, he got recruited to someone and they're like, hey, what'd you do? And I'm like, you gotta give him cigarettes at night. <laughs> Those and many other stories I could do. Hey, potentially blow up, spontaneously blow up and they'd never figure out why, or safely land a $65 million jet on the aircraft here. I thought the risk reward was pretty good. Yeah, you gotta weigh your options there. Yeah. Um, yeah so. Bart, yeah, I, I, I'd love to invite you on our like our, our Zoom meetings. We meet with BBC. We do them every Monday oh, night, yeah. 7 p.m. I think the guys there, that's there, would, would love to hear some of the stories. But let's get into uh, what yeah. you're into now, your entrepreneurship. Um, yeah. What you got going on? So, um, ready for this one. First off, uh, I do uh, have a nonprofit. It's called the SUP Veterans, uh, the SUPVeterans.org. Um, Sean and Ryan, you guys are invited. We do two retreats a year. I should, I should mention, I'm not a veteran. 
So. Oh, you're not. I saw. No. Okay. Yeah. Ryan, you were saying Sean Ryan, but I was like, <laughs> I, I'm not a veteran, so Sean, I probably shouldn't invited be invited <laughs> to do the podcast. Catherine, you're invited to report on. It. <laughs> I mean, uh, but I love it. the subbets.org. Surfing's changed my life. It's camaraderie. Um, we have a great time. We do two a year. We take all the vets down to Punamita, Mexico. All the vet has to do is buy a plane ticket, and we have professional surfers teaching everyone how to surf. 60, 70% of the vets have never been on a surfboard. They're all suck, stand up paddleboard surfing within about three days. Everybody catches a wave. Everyone has caught them. It's really cool, right? Um, and so that led me to get approached by actually one of my uh, former students in the uh, fleet replacement squadron. <coughs> and he, he kind of asked me, he goes, hey, did you have a tough time when you transitioned out of the cockpit? And um, I kind of thought about it. I'm like, you know, yeah, I think we all did. Right. I think anyone who makes the transition. So you'll love this, Ryan. I think we ought to just stop calling it a transition, call it an integration. I'll go somewhere with that, right? But um, I I had a train wreck phase for a while. Uh, I drank too much. Um, I put a couple golf clubs uh, through a wall. Um, and I was just wired. I was wired. I didn't realize it. Um, and you know, my wife's great and we're able to work through it and everything like that. But I was approached because of 22, uh, service members, veterans a day are killing themselves. Right. And, uh, this is a national tragedy. It's a national tragedy. And, um, so my buddy Ponch said, well, why don't you come with us, um, down to, uh, Mexico and trip out on psychedelics. And I said, yeah. uh, Okay, <laughs> that's my personality, right? So I'm actually in a documentary. It's called No Fallen Heroes. Um, and it was five of us who went down to Mexico and um, did psychedelic therapy. Uh, I did Ibogaine and 5-MeO-DMT. And I'm here to tell you it was the most powerful spiritual event that I've ever done in my life. Mm. And um, there is a massive, psychedelic movement inside of the military. Um, there's a $15 million study being done uh, in the VA right now, uh, actually funded by Bob Parsons, founder of GoDaddy, who he himself was a uh, uh, recon Marine uh, who claims the psychedelic saved his life. Uh, he was a Marine Con, Marine Con Marine in Vietnam. So I wanted to, to tell this group about the fallen heroes because this some military member or some military spouse or some family member or some friend's going to hear this and know that that person he or she is is, is struggling and we want to get the word out that um, this isn't a panacea right i'm you still have work to do but this therapy is real it's not recreational it's powerful and it radically changed my outlook on life not that i had a bad outlook right three of the guys that i went down with had guns in their mouth um, at one time. I never did, right? Um, but I, I certainly uh, hit my share of the, the vodka bomb. But um, I just, I, I find it a, a, a privilege to be able to tell people that I did have some issues when I left the military. Um, I worked through them. Um, I didn't tell anyone, which was wrong, right? Um, I, I, I don't know if I necessarily suffered, but I struggled in silence. And so now, um, I mean, some of these guys were on 18 different pills, right? I mean, it, it, right? it's insane. 
and you go down and you do this therapy and it just, it rewires how your outlook on life. And so um, our group of No Fallen Heroes, we're, we're pushing the limits, right? And so it's not the show up in the Scooby-Doo bus, grab a 12 pack of Strohs, go to, you know, south of the border, meet a shaman in a, a smoke tent on the beach and, you know, smoke the hash pipe. It's nothing like that. It's 100% professionally uh, done. Um, I had multiple psychologist sessions, journaling, meditating. I had blood work done, an EKG on me while I was going through the, uh, the medicine, plant-based medicine, um, air oxygen sensor. There's two cardiac surgeons and three RNs with us, right? It's not fun. <laughs> In fact, I got glad. And so the insights I got on my life, it's totally radically changed, right? And so there are operators going to Mexico every weekend to heal. And um, it's and you just Google VA psychedelics and you can yeah. see that. So I wanted I wanted to mention that for you guys, and I'll be quiet. I, I just wanted to ask, like, yeah, right. after you did that, like, what was the follow up treatment plan after that, or was there one? You know, like, what did you do to what happened afterwards? And I bring that up only because, like, I've I've spoken with two veterans who've done a similar, you know, ayahuasca or you know, yeah. psychedelic yeah. or psychedelic treatment, and yeah, and they both said. It's fantastic, but if you just go fall back into your old patterns, you're just going to fall back in your own pattern. So there has to be like follow up with it. It does. They were like, it's great. It yes. resets you and it, it gives you this insight, but you, but you have to like follow up with it. And I was just curious, like, is that, has that been your experience? My, yes, um, absolutely. Right. Uh, and that's why, excuse me, as we look at it, and this is a fascinating podcast, right? We're just, it's all ripples, right? There's four ripples being created, off it goes, right? So we're just trying to create a ripple, a ripple of love and life. But that weekend, bar, bar none, was one of the most powerful spiritual events of my life. You have to integrate back into society after you have an experience like that. And that's why, Ryan, it's not a transition. It's an integration back into the civilian world, right? Transition, it makes it so quick, like it's so seamless. It's not. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and Catherine, I don't want to give you the, the wrong impression. It's not that we're all a bunch of whack jobs when we get out. It's not that at all. It's just a different environment, right? It's a different environment. There's different values, communications, languages, right? So it, it's an integration, right? Um, and we deal with it as a transition. I just transition back into the civilian world. Uh-uh. Right. So if we can think of more of an integration. And so my integration, I had I had follow-up calls. The group of men that we went through had follow-up calls and we all held us accountable. Right. And so that's why I said it's not a panacea. Right. You have to continually do the work. And so while that weekend with the No Fallen Heroes was extremely powerful, I've actually found the six, and I just did it in the end of January. I've actually found the integration to be the most enjoyable and I, I'd say powerful because I'm making the commitment, but I also have guys who are pushing me to keep, keep on that commitment. And so now meditation, journaling, it's, it's part of my day. I, I, I can't go home without it, quite frankly, right? And so, again, great, great point, Ryan, right? Yeah, you can go on the weekend and, okay, yeah, great, I feel good. Well, for a month, that'll go away. Yeah. right 
but you need to keep doing the work. And I find that that's through camaraderie, coaching, mentorship. And I think that's going to be, quite frankly, for the VA, the biggest part. Um, I was talking, I went with, the, it's called the Mission Within. Um, there's another amazing group called VETS by Marcus and Amber Capone, Veterans Exploring Treatment Solutions. Uh, there's Heroic Hearts, which has a lot of army, soft, uh, and ground pounder focus, right? So there's, there's you know, three, four, five organizations out there. Um, but all of us know that that six to eight months afterwards is the key. And so doc, Dr. Martin Blanco is, is who I talk to and everything like that. He's forecasting 100,000 integration coaches are going to be needed in the next three to five years. So it, it, it and, and it's not a pharma model either, right? Don't take the pill, and, right? I'll never have to do it again in my life. I think I'd like to make it a pilgrimage, like once a year, just as a check-in, right? But I, I, I'm good. You know, I, I don't need to do it again. But I could see it as part of my spiritual continual journey um, to, to do it, you know, once a year or something. But I don't have to. The, but that that six months post is the key, because if you don't do the work and you don't have a support mechanism to support you, um, then you can fall back into that software code that you had just rebooted two or three months ago. So yeah, Ryan, your your point's spot on. And so I think what's going to happen, and our hope is that we're actually the more this type of therapy gets out there, and trust me, it's moving. It really is. Um, the more people will be able to graduate into these groups where people understand the, the coaching and just, hey, you know. And, and I think the biggest thing for me was um, I realized my humanity. And what do I mean by that? I love myself. I truly love who I am. And I ask you guys, you don't have to answer it. But do you love yourself, right? And, and a lot of times I could say no, right? Now I do. And so I give my humanity a breakdown, right? Um, I'm not anywhere close to perfect. But now when things happen, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you're just human, you know? Um, so I, I want your listeners um, and viewers to understand that if you're hurt, call us, you know, look me up. Um, Google No Fallen Heroes because I'm getting calls four to six times a week. We'll make sure to put we, all that information also in the description. So if you're looking for yeah, where to do please. that, you know, I'll have the links there uh, in the YouTube and, and, and on the and, podcast. Some of these guys are 75 years old, right? One of my best friends, his dad still thinks there's no way he'll be saved because of what happened in Vietnam, that he's going to help. I'm like, Pete, so this individual has been suffering for 50 years, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's men, it's women, um, it's all ages, all ranks. It, 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 it doesn't matter. And the other thing too that I learned is trauma is trauma, right? Whether you're in this crazy firefight or you're about to get hit by a car, the subconscious mind doesn't know the difference, right? And so mental health is exploding because of everything that's happened over the past years, right? So your brain is, is trying to process this trauma and, and the confusion and everything like that. And so it's, it's not, your trauma is your trauma and it's real right? So do something about it. And there are means to do something about it. So I really just wanted to let people know that we're here to help. We really are. And it radically changed my life. And I'm doing the work. And, and like you said, Brian, you got to do the work every day. 
right? So thanks. I want to let you guys know about that. Ask any more questions. Uh, Catherine's like, holy smokes, I thought we were going to talk about Top Gun. No, I have to tell you, I... On psychedelics. <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you, I appreciate how open you are with it, because I think all of us, you know, here in, you know, the Scuttlebutt community and the VDC community all realize, you know, like how big of an issue that is, like the transition and PTSD and things that people go through. And I, you know, through my job, I interview a lot of veterans and I talk to a lot of veterans who have the same, you know, issues. And I appreciate how open you are with it, because I think, like you said, it really does create a ripple effect because for every person that's open about it and shares their story, it'll eventually get to somebody that needs it. And when you talk about mental health, I feel like this isn't just a military thing. This is like a, a world thing. Like, I mean, people aren't as open about it as they should be. It's still like stigmatized and it shouldn't be. So again, I thank you for sharing your experiences because everybody's sharing what worked for them and just being comfortable enough to talk about it, I think starts that ripple effect that'll get people to these treatments that you know other people are working so hard to perfect and, and get everybody access to. And I know it's not, you know, it's not always easy for people and veterans and stuff up and say like, hey, I'm having a little bit of an issue. So I, uh, you know, I apply well, I'm you guilty as charge. Yeah. <laughs> I'm guilty as charged, right? Um, I, yeah. Uh, in fact, I, I was on the phone Saturday night with one of my really good friends, classmates, and his son's just, he's not a military veteran or anything, right? He's just really having a tough time. And, and I just said, I like, have you considered psychedelic treatment? What are you talking about? I'm like, have you considered it? I go, this is me talking to you. What do you know about it? I'm like, I did it. He's like, yeah. oh, shit. You know what I mean? Um, and so that's what we're trying to do also, right? So you've got this persona, right, of these top gun people. And, and that's why we tried to time, we tried to time the, the documentary with the release of Maverick, right? So you've got this incredible, right, uh, movie and the Hollywood glitz of everything. And then you, you step over flying fighters for 11 years straight, really, really intense. And how do you deal with that intensity when you leave the military? And I didn't do a very good job, right? Um, but for me now, that intensity, I get on a wave. It literally, it, it, I don't want to call it an addiction, but when you get in that jet and get an aircraft carrier catapult shot, yeah, I've never done LSD or any that crazy, right? But I'm telling you, it's an adrenaline hit. <laughs> yeah. And after hundreds and hundreds of adrenaline hits, I think the subconscious mind goes, where's the adrenaline hit, man? Come on, yeah. right? And so you look to go find that intensity and that, ah, right, in other places. Unfortunately, sometimes I've found it in a bottle, right? Um, I don't anymore. Um, but that's why I love that surfing. It, it, it's just, man, you get that adrenaline hit right and it's natural so it's good right so um we're thinking that as aviators as top gun graduates as a naval academy graduate right i don't have long hair and i'm not going to let's go you know do let's go do the toad man no nothing like that i i hopefully i present myself as you know realistically a, i'm a grandfather and, and i and i actually told each one of my children supposedly and i believe it that in the continuum of time I healed this generational trauma, which actually ended up being a lot of childhood stuff. It had nothing to do with the military, right? Yeah. I think a lot of us who go into very operator-oriented, you know, like Ryan was a ground pounder, grunt. We all got to screw loose. 
What we're all say, a little right? crazy. Everyone's oh, uh, got to be a little batshit yeah. crazy, right? So, um, but I'm coming out to coming out. I'm coming out. I had two gay brothers too, which I love, right? They're awesome. Man. So I had a lot going on in my family, right? But I'm coming out to say, here's a pretty normal dude, you know, on the normal scale, you know, but here, here's, you know, somebody who speaks pretty, pretty eloquently. He's a former naval officer, Top Gun graduate and everything of that said psychedelics are real. And they really helped me and other people beyond anything I could ever imagine. You're also sounding like a pitch for Top Gun 3, which could be, <laughs> let's get Tom Cruise to like 70 years old and we'll Let have the that. Air Force do that. <laughs> yeah, Tom Cruise can do psychedelics and be Benjamin Button. <laughs> I was going to say, you can't get Tom Cruise to 70. The man doesn't age. <laughs> I'm looking at me and I'm looking at him. And I'm like, holy smokes, how's he do it, right? So maybe he's tripping out on the toad. I don't know. It's so funny. Aaron Rodgers. Do you see Aaron Rodgers came out? Yeah. Will Smith came out. Mike Tyson came out that he's been doing it. In fact, our, our you know, leader who came up with the idea was Buckley. He was with two NFL players. Oh. In fact, one of our potential investors who founded a psychedelic company was Daniel Caruso, who was an NHL champion. Hmm. His, his, his TBI from playing hockey was so bad, he thought he was going to lose his life. He cured himself on psychedelics. So he started wow. a company. Yeah. So what a great podcast. Talk this, no, this is great. We covered a lot of ground here in just the short time that we've had with you. And, and I, you. I keep telling Ryan that my one of my bucket list items is, is to, to be catapulted off of an aircraft carrier in an F-18. But I would take as a secondary option, I would take uh, a runway, a regular runway takeoff and just straight up in the air. It's just so, Sean, you need to get Wiz Buckley on. Okay. okay. Wiz has two fighter jets. Okay. Takes people up there all the time. All Good you got to do is ask and show up in Tampa Bay, Florida, and he'd probably get you in one. And I am dead serious. Oh, I would throw up. <laughs> you too, Catherine. Yeah. You're invited. I would, I I'm would serious, Brian. Come on down. No, I'm serious. Wiz, he he does it all the time. He really does. And and to promote our documentary and everything like that. Mm -hmm. Sure. Look it up. You'll see. Uh, follow us on Instagram. No fallen heroes. Yeah, we'll do. So we're trying. We're trying. Well, we'll get the word out with the podcast as well to our audience. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Scuttlebutt. If you have questions about uh, uh, the, the psychedelic treatments that Bart was talking about, please reach out to me, Sean, S-H-A-U-N at veteransbreakfastclub.org. I'd be happy to pass them on to you, Bart. Uh, please like, yes, share, please. subscribe, ring the bell on YouTube so you're the first to know when we release new episodes. Ryan, Catherine, Bart, I want to thank you all for joining us for this episode and to our audience. I uh, uh, hope you see you on, a next, on the next episode of The Scuttlebutt. Thank you for watching this episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'd like to take a moment to thank both of our sponsors, the first being DND Metal Recycling and Auto Salvage. They began as a small hauling and used auto parts operation in the Pittsburgh area in the late 1970s, but they've grown into a full-service metal recycling company with two locations, Lawrenceville and Tarentum. D&D accepts all types of metal, both ferrous and non-ferrous, that may be generated by industrial manufacturing, construction and demolition, small commercial entities, as well as individual customers. 
They have a wide variety of material handling equipment and are capable of managing any type of job in a timely and efficient manner. You can contact them for quotes and availability at D&D. &D. That's D&D &D Auto Salvage. Dot com. Uh, thank you so much to D&D. &D. Uh, they've been a sponsor for quite some time, and we really appreciate their support. Uh, the second being Tobacco-Free Adagio Health. They are dedicated to reducing and preventing tobacco use and to getting the word out about the hazards of smoking and secondhand smoke. They're all about health, so they want people to quit, and they have classes and nicotine replacement therapy and a popular quit line, which is the easiest number to remember ever, 1-800-QUIT-NOW. They also educate people, children especially, about tobacco use from cigarettes, cigars, pipes, chew, snuff, and other nicotine products like vaping. Finally, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health advocates for public and private policies that ensure healthy places to live, work, and play. You can learn all of what Tobacco-Free Adagio Health offers at tobaccofree.adagiohealth.org, or you can watch our recent episode with Tobacco-Free Adagio Health on the Scuttlebutt, uh, where they talk about a lot of the programs that they offer for those who are looking to quit. Thank you to both of our sponsors for their continued support of the Scuttlebutt podcast. We really appreciate it. Thanks.